Cool. Good morning, everybody. All right. So as Pastor Andy um, mentioned, we uh, here at the church, we've been doing a series on the book of Philippians. Uh, Pastor Andy started this series off two weeks ago, walking through the New Testament book of Philippians. And so the book of Philippians in the Bible is actually a letter. It's a letter that was written by Paul while he was in prison, the Apostle Paul, to the church at Philippi. And if you didn't get those messages, if you weren't here for any of the, the previous messages in that series, I would encourage you to visit AntiochWheaton.com uh, to listen to the, all of the previous sermons. In the first week, just to give you a recap in case uh, you weren't aware, in the first week, Andy showed how this book, Philippians, clearly states that all Christians are saints, every last one of us. Andy showed how we're all called into the ministry we're all called to share the good news about Jesus with everybody. We are to partner together as we share that gospel as part of both a local church and as part of the global church so that everyone can hear about Jesus Christ. And doing this enables love to abound in us, both individually in our personal relationship with God and communally with all of the other believers that we're on mission together with. The next week, we saw how Paul encouraged the church that the gospel will advance no matter what. No matter what persecution may come against it, it doesn't matter. Christ will be honored and the gospel will advance. God is huge and nothing can stop his plan to honor Christ and spread the gospel that saves people throughout the world. Also, we saw that God will not waste your suffering. He uses our sacrifices, our pains, our hurts, our sorrows, and even our persecution for his glory. No matter what, the gospel is advanced and Christ is honored. Finally, last week's message centered on unity within the church. How humility brings unity. And conceit or pride is the unity killer. And when we pursue unity by walking in Christ-like humility, we achieve a true community of believers, and we display the life-changing power of God to all of the people around us. And he also included a super hilarious list of all the things that churches have allowed themselves to squabble over. It's honestly worth listening to the podcast just for that. So check that sermon out. So we are seeing through this series that Paul is encouraging the church in Philippi, and by way of encouraging us to live lives worthy of the gospel. He's not only talking about how we should live, but he's also giving us encouragement and practical steps to be able to pull it off. So this week we are continuing with Philippians 2, 12 through 18. And so I'm going to introduce my son, Avery, my firstborn son. He's going to be turning eight soon. He is an awesome young man of God who we are very proud of. And he's also a good reader. So he's going to read the scripture. Philippians 2, 12 through 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, 
holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Good job, bud. Thanks, Avery. Now, one of the main reasons that we've been doing this is to show that we are all saints. We're all part of the body of Christ. We are all called into the ministry, and it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what your situation is. You're called to be part of this, too. Amen. So, in this passage, what is Paul saying? He's encouraging this group of believers that he loves. He calls them beloved, dearly loved. This is like family love language. Paul says, I love you guys, and you guys have done great so far while I've been there. Keep on living in obedience. Keep on growing in your faith. Live in unity with one another based on the fact that you are all saved members of God's family. You are all saints who are rescued from a life apart from God. You're gifted and you're equipped by God's grace. Walk in Christ-like humility so that you're going to be looking very different from the world around you. And what this looks like is getting along with each other, being unified, not grumbling over little things. And as you show your faith to be mature, and that's externally showing what God is doing on you internally, this is going to bring great joy for all of us. Now, many of you either remember getting dropped off at college by your parents, or maybe you dropped your own kids off at college at some point, or maybe you're like me and you have no college experience in your family, so you didn't experience either. You just went to Votech Vocational Training School down in Tulsa, Oklahoma. <laughs> right? But you did see Revenge of the Nerds, so you know what I'm talking about, and shame on you for watching that movie. But we all know that really classic, iconic image of loving parents unloading their station wagon at the new college, SUV these days. They're right there at their kid's dorm room. They give the hugs and kisses, tearful goodbye, and then they drive away. And they're proud of them for stepping into this new chapter in their lives. They're proud of them for, for taking ownership of this. They're also a little bit sad that their kid's moving on from a, a part of childhood and they're inwardly terrified that their child is about to burn through their college fund living out Animal House. Uh, Mr. Anderson, thank you for applying to work at our firm. I see your MBA is from National Lampoons. That's troubling. All right, truly though, when this separation happens and these loving parents who have trained and protected and nurtured these kids are walking away from their children, they desperately hope that their kid continues in the way that they've been brought up. They pray that they are going to hold firmly to their morals and their convictions. They're going to stand up for what they know is right. They're going to be responsible with their time and their resources. And the reality is that some kids do exactly that. And some kids are Miley Cyrus. <laughs> I've actually seen this with my own young kids at home. And I mean, Avery's awesome. He's incredible. But I've got three boys under the age of seven. And all that goes with that. I also have an adorable one-year-old baby girl who can do no wrong. She's fantastic. She's lovable. She's squeezable. She's just the sweetest little thing ever. Anyway, back to the Sons of Thunder. Dinner table. 
Everybody's doing great, doing fine. No arguments, no fighting. Everyone's speaking kindly with each other. Then I say, hey guys, I gotta take like 12 steps into the other room and grab my phone real quick. Cool. I am out of sight and around the corner for seconds. Lord of the flies. <laughs> Just pandemonium. But sometimes it works out well. Sometimes we find out that when we weren't around, our kids were showing love to others. Our kids showed generosity. They protected someone who was being bullied. They showed responsibility. They shared their faith. Man, it does not get much better than that. Like finding out that your child is thriving on their own. That's joy, big time. And joy for the parent and the child because it means that investment that was made into the child was not wasted. That is what Paul is talking about in Philippians 2.12. How would we act if our parents were actually always aware of our behavior? Ooh. On that note, Christ is actually always present with us. I remember seeing a bumper sticker once that said, Jesus is coming back soon. Look busy. <laughs> yes, Jesus really is coming back someday, but God is truly always with us right now. And not merely as just like an overseer, watchdog, just watching our behavior, but as a loving protector and a comforter as well. And we should behave with that in mind. Now, Paul's first major point for them, the first thing he's asking them to do is keep growing in your faith. Paul wants to tell these church members, you don't need to worry about me. You are God's child. He will transform you, whether I'm right there with you or not. So what kind of behavior is Paul asking this church to keep rocking in his absence? Keep doing what you've been doing so well. Well, the verse says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That sounds awful. <laughs> now, the, uh, the NLT, which stands for New Living Translation, and I have to stop myself from saying the NLT translation, because then it's like the New Living Translation translation. It's kind of like when you say, well, I was at the ATM machine. It's like that's actually saying I was at the automatic teller machine machine. Anyway, the NLT. <laughs> which, which I'm going to be referencing a little bit throughout the rest of the message, says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Work hard. Now make no mistake about it. Your salvation is free. No effort from you required whatsoever. Jesus completely paid the entire price for your salvation so you can be in God's presence forever. And the Bible makes that point over and over and over again. Paul is saying, work hard to show the outward results of your salvation. Do the kinds of things that come along with being a redeemed person. Salvation is free. Showing the results will cost you something. It takes effort to do good works. It actually takes effort to love God. And it takes a metric ton of effort to love people. <laughs> right. Displaying the inner change that God has done is going to require some effort. And we maintain that behavior with a reverent, respectful focus on God. 
The wording of fear and trembling, that kind of conjures up this image of being super terrified, like cowardly, shaking in a corner, completely paralyzed by fear, like Kim Kardashian in a spelling contest. Or if, sorry, sorry. I, yeah, I've, I've done enough Kardashian pot chats for my friend. Like, like the wet bandits at the end of Home Alone. All right. Uh, that is not what this is talking about. It's not talking about that kind of fear. It's talking about a deep, reverential, reverent, respectful view. God loves us. God shows us every aspect of perfect love. Why would we fear that? I mean, besides the fact that we're all just scaredy cats who thought Y2K was going to like wipe out the entire world and like bring around a nuclear holocaust just because our personal computers didn't know what year it was. But God is completely loving. But he is also perfectly just and powerful beyond anything we can imagine. And I usually think of this like working in a nuclear power plant control room. The positive benefits of this power are great. They're amazing. We get energy that powers our homes, energy that powers our hospitals. This energy saves lives. But the moment you go Homer Simpson and you drop a chunk of pink donut frosting down into the control panel, that same power can annihilate everything around you for miles. So reverent respect is warranted. Similarly, God is our loving Father, but it's right to show Him that we respect who He is and what He is. For it is God who works in you. That's the next line, and I love that line. God works in you. God is working in all of us. What an honor, and what a relief. We're not just thrown into this with a bunch of requests and only our willpower to see us through. God himself, the creator of the entire universe, considers us, all of us, he considers you worthy of his attention, worthy of his continued creativity to develop us into something way more than we are on our own. He does not just save us and then leave us to sit on a shelf. He's always working on us, for us, and through us to bring glory to himself, motivated by his love for us. And part of God working in us is that he gives us the desire and the power to live as he requests us to. He equips and enables us. This does not mean it won't require effort. I could have both the desire and the power to deadlift 5,000 pounds. Why is that funny? All right, so, um, but that doesn't mean I can do it without effort. It might still take a lot of work, even though I can do it. Probably immense effort in my case. But similarly, we, we may have everything that we need to accomplish what God is calling us to do, but we need to be prepared that it might not be easy. Paul's second point here, he says, live gospel-centered lives in community. He's telling them, I want you guys to be unified. You need to center your lives on the gospel, and a gospel-centered life is never done alone. Paul actually planted this church that he's talking to. He got it started, and he wants the people there to continue in their faith, whether he gets out of prison or not. His great love for them is not diminished by the distance 
It's not diminished by being separated. Just like a parent's love is not diminished at all by being separated from their child who's off at college. Specifically, Paul wants the Philippians to be a good witness of the gospel as they live in unity without grumbling with one another, which will make them seem different from the outside world. And this is where he uses the terminology, so different that you will shine like stars. This means we are obviously to stand out from the rest of the world in a good way. As different as a star, which is an enormous, bright, luminous ball of gas, mostly hydrogen and helium, held together by colossal amounts of crushing gravity, spawning nuclear fusion reactions, erupting photons, and millions of years of face-melting heat, compared with the empty black nothingness of space. That is a stark contrast. What does Paul say will make us that different from the surrounding world? Not grumbling. Grumbling and complaining. Big deal to God. This is what caused so many problems for the children of Israel in the book of Exodus. God was doing amazing, mind-blowing, incredible, miraculous things for them. Yet when there was any struggle, and their struggles were real, instead of turning to God with thanks for what he'd already done for them, instead of trusting that he would continue to rescue them, they grumbled, they complained. And we've mentioned before that there is a big difference between David crying out to God in the Psalms saying, I don't understand this. This is so hard. This doesn't make any sense to me. God, I feel like you're not here. But man, even though I will still trust you because I know you are good. Big difference between that and God, this is all your fault. You stink. Like you are just absolutely the worst. And we would be so better off without you big difference. So, Paul is coaching the Philippians into unity. And unity is hard to get because it's based on humility. And if you remember from the first part of Philippians 2 from last week, we learned that conceit leads to rivalry. And so it is a unity killer. Paul wants them to pursue unity through Christ-like humility. And he knows that when we grumble and we complain within our church, we are not walking in humility. Grumbling kills morale. It divides us when we complain and we gossip about each other because word gets around. It fosters division. It kills hope and inspiration in others. And quite frankly, it makes you really unpopular. Does anybody have like, you know, one of those relatives that just does nothing but complain? You like hanging out with them? Like, you're just at the family reunion, you know, and you do the standard wave of like, hi, Aunt Netta, how's it going? Well, and then you know it's coming. Not too good, I guess. The temperature in here isn't the best. And I see they went with white plastic forks instead of clear again. Why anyone would ever do that, I'll never know. And yesterday I went to the doctor about that sore on my elbow again, and he says it's probably not contagious, but what does he know? And yeah, that was, that was a rhetorical question, and you just like do the slowly back up. We don't want to be around people like that. We don't want to be around people who are constantly complaining. So we shouldn't be that way ourselves either. Doing God's will without complaint is to show trust for God in the midst of our struggle. 
we also show the world that we consider it worth the effort. Now, this doesn't forbid us from having questions about what's going on or expressing that we are hurting from our circumstances, but it warns against the negative expression of those questions and those reactions and those feelings. So go to God with those. Go to God with your honest expressions of those feelings. Share them with a discipler. Seek what Paul says is the natural outcome from doing this. You appear blameless and innocent. That's huge. <laughs> Avoiding grumbling and complaining obviously carries a lot of weight, as walking that out is compared to being blameless and innocent. Merely refraining from grumbling goes a very long way with God. Let's look at where that's leading, starting with verse 16. This is also out of the NLT. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul is proud that his work was not done in vain because of their actions. You guys do this, and I will be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Our actions impact other people. It's never just about us and our walk because we are part of the church. We're part of the body of Christ. Paul's motivations in saying this are from love because he loves these people so much he wants what's best for them. He's not giving them a rule book or a religious system by which they need to pass or fail. It's loving encouragement with the hope that they're all going to finish the race well and be right alongside him with Jesus for eternity. It's like that parent like leaving some words of wisdom for the kid going to college. It's like, all right, you're probably going to hear from some of your friends this whole thing about trying to chug an entire gallon of milk like in under a minute. Don't do it. I'm not saying this because I don't want you to have fun or I don't want you to win a contest or something, but trust me, the human body can't process that much lactose in that short amount of time and you will puke. They got hardwood floors in here, that stuff's going to get between the cracks and this dorm room is going to reek for months. Trust me. It's good advice. <laughs> for the church at Philippi, keeping the main thing the main thing and heeding Paul's advice. The main thing, by the way, being the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. Doing that is going to make them a great witness, and it's going to cause joy for the Philippians and joy for Paul. When Christ returns, it will show that Paul's ministry to the church had not been in vain. And for the same reasons, we need to keep the main thing, the main thing in our church as well. Paul's third point. Walking out these things is going to cause mutual joy. The joy that Paul is speaking of comes from lives that are sacrificially submitted to God's service and to holiness. He's saying that if these things come together and this church keeps their focus on Christ, living in unity with one another, sharing the gospel, it's going to bring so much joy that it doesn't even matter if he suffers. It doesn't even matter if he's in prison doesn't matter if he loses his life. When we are spiritually mature, we can have joy regardless of suffering. In the midst of heartache and chaos, we can still know joy in the presence of God. Speaking of service, I always naturally fall into the servant role with my relationship with God, just personally seeing God as master and me as servant. And that's described in the Bible quite a bit. He's described in many other ways of king over his kingdom, of father God over his children. 
But I'm usually focused on what I can do for the kingdom as a servant and how best to be obedient to his call on my life. But Paul clearly, in the midst of these encouragements and instructions, he reminds us that we are children of God. This passage is bursting with serving and submission references, but the anchor to all of this is that we are God's kids. We are called children of God by God. So here's where those things kind of come together. Children still have chores. They have some stuff to do. When someone adopts a child or has a new baby added to their family, though, it doesn't come with a performance requirement. Well, if you look cute enough, then I guess you'll, you'll remain my kid. If you don't drop my cell phone off the second-story banister, then you shall be my child. No. We became children the moment we were born or adopted into that family, not after winning a ball game or getting a good score on test or even doing our chores, but we do fulfill our role within a family by acting like family members. We sacrifice our time for each other. We help one another. We work as a team. We sometimes counsel each other. We correct and receive correction. And we love each other with a bond that is greater than all others. We are God's kids. And whatever we're asked to do, that remains the focal point. So, Paul's main takeaway from this passage for them is to keep growing in your faith by living gospel-centered lives in unity, which will create joy for all of us. Uh, the band can go ahead and come on back up. So first, keep growing in your faith. How do we do that? Listen to God and obey. And avoid being overly reliant on a pastor for your spiritual growth. Andy actually wrote that bit in my notes. I didn't. That's, that's him. Not me. <laughs> Take ownership of your faith. No matter who is watching, God is with you, and he's working in you. So what does living a gospel-centered life look like this coming week for you? Let's take a moment and just do some self-examination. What is the source of our joy, really? Are you discipling and being discipled by others? Are there areas in your life that you need to focus more on refraining from grumbling? Are you seeking ways to share your faith and talk to others about Jesus? I did want to take a, a quick second and just mention on the, on the note of unity within the church, um, I've had some examples of that just this past week. Hey. Um, Andy gave that list last week of all these things that churches allow themselves to fight over and, and have huge divisions over these tiny little issues. The subject of biblical translation came up, and I loved that I had some really cool, friendly discussions with people in the church who had different views on it. And it was great that it brought us together. It didn't drive us apart. That's the focus we should be having. So. Imagine that kid being dropped off at college again, actually listening 
to the loving, wise advice from their parents. Maybe imagine a kid being dropped off after living in a Christian home all their life, being dropped off at Wheaton College, per se, focusing their life on what's most important, continuing to live out the values they were raised with, walking out a gospel-centered life. And so, they're a great witness to both the gospel and good parenting. And they're not the kind of kid to be a complainer. Nobody's perfect, so they may have duct taped their roommate into his bed twice. But with the other stuff in mind, when they graduate, think of the pride that they and their parents will both share. God is our heavenly father, and he is a good parent. He loves you. He wants you to do well. The eternal salvation that he offers us through Jesus Christ is totally free. And once we accept that, he sees us just like he sees Jesus Christ, perfect and holy. Let us pursue doing the things that perfect and holy people would do. Let's pray. Well, Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for speaking to us. We thank you that you are continuing to work within us, that you are not done with anyone in this room. No matter what our story has been, no matter what road we have traveled, you have plans for us. And that comes from your deep love that we can't even wrap our heads around. We thank you for that, God. Pray for your, your peace over everyone in this room. And I pray that this week we would encounter you and see the signs of you doing that work within us. Pray that you would help us to refrain from grumbling, that we would focus on living Christ-like humility in unity as your church. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.